0: Turn with me to Revelation chapter 13 as we continue our look into this book and into uh, some pretty interesting characters. We'll read from verse 11 to 15 this morning. Revelation 13 verse 11 And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, And he had two horns, like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by, the, by a sword and did live and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed let's stop there let's pray Heavenly Father we, uh, we ask this morning that as we look into your word that our hearts would be humbled before it, that we would see the awesomeness of your word, that your spirit would teach us, would reveal to us your truth, and that that truth would in turn mould us into the people you want us to be. Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit would be our teacher this morning, that you would use me, Lord, in a way that would bless my brothers and sisters here and glorify your name at the same time. In your precious name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read you an excerpt from a book. And some of you will know already where I'm going to be reading from. won't take you too long to work it out. Thus far our history of persecution has been confined principally to the pagan world. We come now to a period when persecution under the guise of Christianity committed more enormities than ever disgraced the annals of paganism. Disregarding the maxims of the spirit of the gospel, the papal church, arming herself with the power of the sword, vexed the church of God and wasted it for several centuries, a period most appropriately termed in history the Dark Ages. The kings of the earth gave their power to the beast and submitted to be trodden on by the miserable vermin that often filled the papal chair, as in the case of Henry, emperor of Germany, The Storm of Papal Persecution First Burst Upon the Waldenses in France Anyone know where I'm reading from? Fox's Book of Martyrs Anyone read some of that or all of that? Okay, very interesting book If you read that book You won't be the same After you've read it When you understand What Christians Or what people who, who profess Christ Went through in times before ours and what they're going through now, because persecution hasn't stopped. This was Fox's description of the work of the Catholic Church during the Dark Ages, when the Church was aligned very closely with the political powers that be, or that were. And they crushed, together, they crushed anyone who questioned the authority of the true head of the Church, which was the Pope, We're going to look today, we're going to find out that one of the most dangerous and vicious alliances that can take place is when the state joins forces with the church or religion. When one lends its authority to the other, millions, millions throughout the ages have been tortured or killed for their faith simply because they lived in a country whose official state religion wasn't their own. Now, in this particular passage, we're going to see the culmination of that very principle, of that unholy union between politics and religion, between kings and leaders of religious institutions. These are the days where the second beast rises up from the earth. Let's go, let's go to the passage and start looking at it. I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like the lamb and spake as a dragon. The first thing we notice about this particular individual is that he's, he comes from a slightly different place than the first one. Do you remember where the first beast rose from? It was the sea. And if we remember, you remember what the, what the sea generally represented? It represented the Gentile nations. Well, if the sea represents the Gentile nations, then the earth indicates probably indicates that this fellow came from uh, or was possibly a Jew or probably a Jew, born of a Jewish mother. So there's a difference here. The Antichrist is a Gentile, the one we call the Roman prince, and then this fellow is possibly or probably a Jew, which is interesting as we look look into a little bit further. And it says that this particular fellow had two horns like a lamb but he spake as a dragon. Now, okay, two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. If you look read each commentary, everyone's got a different opinion about it. Okay, from what I understand about horns in the Bible, horns normally represent some sort of authority or power, correct? And the fact that it's a lamb normally means meekness, purity and, and the rest. See, the Bible calls Jesus the spotless lamb of God. He came very meekly and humbly. A lamb is not something that you look at and you're automatically afraid of, are you? A lamb doesn't have much power to to kill anything else. It's rather defenceless. So, when we put those things together, we find out that this individual has authority and certain power, but comes across as a lamb, meek and mild. But we find out, that this particular character speaks like a dragon. Okay? Now, do you remember uh, the first beast, the way he would speak? Very arrogantly, very proud, because he was indwelt by Satan himself. Well, this, this particular character here also then begins to speak arrogantly. He has the garb of the lamb, meek and mild, but he speaks quite strongly and it goes perfectly with Jesus' warning to his followers in Matthew chapter 7 verse 15 Jesus says beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravening wolves and this person perfectly fits that description there Dressed as a lamb, looking like a lamb with the authority of a religious leader. This brings us to his identification. Who is he? He's the false prophet. The Bible calls this specific person the false prophet. Now, do you remember how many antichrists there were in the world? Jesus said there were many antichrists in the world, correct? Correct. And they were, even in John's days, when he was writing this book of Revelation, there were already Antichrists in the world, but there is one Antichrist. There are many Antichrists, but there is THE Antichrist, which we found out comes up in these days. Now, there are many false prophets in the world, correct? Many false prophets. But this is, the one we're speaking about here is THE false prophet. He is the false prophet of all false prophets. He is the one, the culmination of these false religions. Turn to chapter 16, verse 13. We're going to look at a little bit more about this and we're going to find out that where this person um, uh, exists normally goes hand in hand with the first beast. Revelation 16:13 says, "And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, which is the first one, and out of the mouth of the false prophet." Turn to chapter 19, verse 20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet. The false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone and finally turn turn to chapter 20 verse 10 and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. You see, where one is, the other automatically goes. Where the first beast was, the second beast always is. And it looks as if that these two last right to the end when they're both cast into the lake of fire together. And then finally, after all the, everything's culminated, Satan is thrown in there with them. Okay, now, there's an interesting comparison here that we can make. Who prepared the way for Jesus? Who was the prophet who... Yeah, it was John. John came to prepare the way for Jesus. He was the prophet, okay, predicted in the Old Testament, who pointed to Jesus and said, this is the one. I'm not the one. As we've read in John this morning, he is the one and he is the one you need to turn to. He is the light of the world. So John's job primarily was to let everyone know that the Messiah had been born into the world and that's the one we're talking about. That was his job. Well, guess what the false prophet's job is? He's the one who directs the world to worship the first one, the Antichrist. His job is very similar to that of John the Baptist in that he shows the rest of the world or convinces the rest of the world that that this Antichrist is the one that should be worshipping. But there are some very interesting differences between John the Baptist and this specific fellow. And we'll look at it a little bit more as we, uh, as we read on. Verse 12 says And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. This second beast is empowered by the first beast or through the first beast as well he has all the authority whatever decision he makes is perfectly in line with purposes and the objectives of the first beast so whatever he says it's as if the first beast was saying it too they are perfectly matched his authority when he speaks his authority is almost the same as the first beast and he exercises all his power too which means he has a great deal of authority in this world what he says goes and what does he do he causes everyone in the world to worship the first beast interesting how does he cause people in the world to worship a man ever thought about that how how do people get conned into worshipping someone like the antichrist well it says that he did it in a pretty convincing way remember he had all the power of the first beast Revelation thirteen thirteen says and he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men that's a pretty impressive uh, trick there it's a very impressive display of power this person has now prophets in the Old Testament would prove themselves by what by the miracles that they did the miracles that they did and the prophecies which came true okay, would authenticate that they were actually from God you see when Jesus came to the earth what were the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees wanting from him they wanted a sign they wanted him to prove his authenticity by showing them a miracle and he basically said to them I'm not going to show you anything (laughs) The only miracle you're going to get is when you kill me and I rise from the grave on the third day. Although he did many miracles in his life. See, Jesus confirmed his status as a true prophet. Now, this person is doing the same. He's following the same tradition and he's proving his authenticity by performing these miracles. And it's quite an impressive miracle, to be calling fire down from heaven there was another prophet who did a very similar thing in the Old Testament turn back with me to 2nd Kings chapter 1 verse 9 2 Kings chapter 1 verse 9 here we find the prophet Elijah who was being chased by these fellows and they finally catch up with him because they want to drag him into the king probably to do him no good. And it says that in verse 9, then the king sent unto him a captain of 50 with his 50. And he went up to him, and behold, he sat on top on the top of a an hill. And he spake unto him, "Thou man of God, the king hath said, come down." And Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, "If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50." And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Pretty dramatic way to answer your uh, your foes there. But Elijah, notice what Elijah says. He says, if I be a man of God, you're calling me the man of God, all right? If I'm a man of God, then you be consumed by fire. And they were. And the same thing happened again. And finally, the third the third lot that the king sent up said, please don't kill us. And he didn't. But... By him saying that, he was confirming his authenticity as a man of God. Because it was God, it wasn't him who actually sent the fire down, it was the Lord, correct? Okay. So Satan is trying the same trick. The false prophet is trying to do the same thing in the eyes of men. He's trying to authenticate who he is in the world. And interesting enough, if he's a Jew... He's trying to do it at an interesting time. The timing of the appearance of this first false prophet and his miracles may be in direct competition with some other characters who were doing something as well. Turn to Revelation chapter eleven, verse three. Revelation eleven three says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. Okay, you have two people, which was spoken about in uh, just a few sermons ago. Um, these two, God had given special abilities to, to be able to authenticate that they were the two witnesses spoken of in the Bible. And their miracles authenticated them because they were in Jerusalem. Their ministry was in Jerusalem. They were authenticating their message to the Jews because it's going to be awakening of the Jews. And interesting enough, this fellow starts doing miracles as well. And it's probable that he's doing them in direct competition with these ones to show that, no, 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 what they're doing is a fake, I'm the one. Let me show you what I can do. There is a competition happening over here. The Bible says it does a rather good job of it. And mind you, we don't know whether those miracles were genuine. It could have been some sort of technology that had been developed that people didn't know anything about that caused fire to come down from the sky because you don't see the sort of miracles that these two witnesses do. The two witnesses have power to shut heaven so it doesn't rain. The two witnesses are able to smite the earth with all types of plagues but... With the false prophet, it only says that he's able to bring fire down from heaven, and we'll see another interesting thing that he does. Maybe they're parlor tricks could be some form of demonic trickery, but nevertheless he's trying to authenticate his message to a specific group of people and trying to prove to the world that he is who he says he is. Go down to verse 14 verse chapter 13, verse 14, and it says and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live Okay. so his purpose in getting, convincing people that he is legitimate the legitimate prophet remember the Jews were waiting, the Jews were waiting for the Messiah right and they're still waiting now. So if he presents himself as the prophet that would come to, to prepare the way for the, uh, for the Antichrist, he's trying to legitimise that. And in a way, he may fool some people. The Bible he fools the whole world, those who are ready to receive the mark. But his purpose in doing that is to get people to worship the first beast, the Antichrist. Just as we worship Christ today, and indeed, he is worthy to be worshipped. If you speak to the, uh, the Mormons, maybe, and, or, the, uh, or the Jehovah's Witnesses, they may beg to differ. But Scripture is very clear that Jesus is God in the flesh, the only begotten Son of God, who is worthy of all our worship and our devotion. So, too, the false prophet tries to lead people to worship the Antichrist. And these miracles that he does are so convincing that he's able to convince them to make some sort of an image to this being. They make an image to him. And it says, notice how it says, actually Mark chapter um, uh, 13 verse 22 another warning of Jesus says, for false Christs and false prophets shall arise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce if it were possible even the elect. So False Christs and False Prophets. There is This is the False Christ and the False Prophet. And they're performing things that are the whole world mesmerized. And they've got them so mesmerized by this that they're willing to produce an image to, this, to the first beast. Now, verse 14 again says, And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had power to do on the side of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live, to the beast, first of all indicates they did it in honor of him. Correct? When something is an image is made to someone, it's in honor of that person. Then in the next verse, we're told that it's an image of the actual beast as well. When I think of that, I think of the the Israelites, the bottom of the mountain, when they were convinced, while Moses is on the mountain okay and god's displaying all his all his uh, power up there that they are that they should be making an image of a golden calf and they give up all their gold and they make this this uh, statue and they worship it and they parade around it and they have a good time apparently because they heard it up the mountain so he deceives them enough to convince them to make Some sort of an image. Now, it doesn't say the image could be a statue, but it could be some other type of image. Something we don't necessarily know. It doesn't say exactly what type of of thing it actually is. It just says it's an image. Well, if we go through scripture as well, we find out that this image becomes a centre of worship of the world. Turn to Revelation chapter 14, verse 9. It says, And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice If any man worship the beast and his image And receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God Which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone In the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb This image becomes the central point of worship for these people now, obviously, they can't, be, or the anti, they can't be where the Antichrist is, right? They can worship from afar, but they worship through this image of him. Now, I don't know if there's only one image or there's a number of images, but for some reason, the whole world is able to worship through that image, of the Antichrist. It becomes the focal point of the final false religion. It's the focal point, okay? And something else then happens. Verse 15 it says that he, uh, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now that's an impressive miracle. I'm also reminded of many statues in Italy and other places that seem to cry. And, uh, and weep blood and all those sorts of things and people adore them and worship them and they carry them on their shoulders and, and do all that sort of stuff. Now if this image is able to speak well, that's a little bit of a cut above those ones isn't it? So they begin to worship this image because it, it has the ability to be, able, somehow, to be able to speak. Now we don't know if it's going to move or do anything or if the voice is just going to come out of it but it says that he's able to give life unto the image so this image is going to look alive. Now, we don't know whether it's actually going to be alive or whether it's going to mimic something being alive, something like a robot, for instance, something with artificial intelligence. Or, as I was thinking about it, it could be something like a hologram. The hologram can be displayed anywhere in the world and it's a 3D image and you're able to actually make it move and talk and speak. Possible. We don't know. But... Whatever it is, it's going to fool the people of this world into worshipping it. But then this image also has another ability. It says, And it causes that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So there's no choice here anymore. This is the world's final state religion. A religion backed by the political power of the world. People don't have a choice anymore. There's an interesting uh, story Go back to Daniel chapter 3 verse 1 and we'll look at it another time when the same thing happened where an image was set up and people had to worship the image unless they would be killed. Daniel chapter 3 verse 1 says Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counsellors, the sheriffs and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the councillors, the sheriffs and all the rulers of the province were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then and herald cried out, To you it is commanded, O people, nations and languages, that at, at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up and whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace here we have history repeating itself do you remember the first beast that rose from the sea it was Nebuchadnezzar He was the first beast, he was the head of gold that uh, there was a dream about and he was the first one to set himself up as the ruler of this planet and he sets himself up an image that everyone has to worship otherwise they will be killed. Well, the Antichrist has to go on better, doesn't he? He sets himself up an image and by the same way says if you don't worship my image you will be killed. The idea of emperor worship, for those of you who know much of history, very common in the old days. Throughout most of those four world empires, the emperors, the people who were in charge, were considered to be gods and required to be worshipped. And now we have a man who comes on the scene who revives that idea. Who says, I am the one that you are to all worship. And the people in this world are fully deluded. And the false miracles that this false prophet does fools them completely. I'll give you a summary. The second beast, this false prophet, represents false religion. Particularly false religion that is allied to state power. Where the first beast is purely political in power... The second wields the control of all the religious affairs of men, directing worship to the first beast. That's why he's called the false prophet. And Satan has, through the ages, been more than happy to use religion for his purposes. Satan knows that man is a spiritual being. He knows that we, as people, need to worship something in order to be satisfied because God made us that way. So he tries to fill that void and direct us from worshipping God into worshipping him. Through the ages, Satan has introduced, driven, grown, a myriad of false religions because he knows the more there are out there, the more chance that people are going to get confused. And that's exactly what's happening today. He has, through the centuries, diverted the worship of men away from God and toward everything under, on, or above this earth anything except for God himself. And finally, when he gets the chance to create his little patch where he becomes the ruler, all that worship, where everything else is being worshipped, then gets funneled and drawn directly to himself. This is the culmination of all, the, all false religions in this world today. And false Christianity is included in that. We will find, as time goes on, and we're seeing it very dramatically now, that as time goes on, the thing we call Christianity will embrace secularism, will embrace other religions, will embrace politics, will embrace science into itself until a point where there will be one major religion in this world. The churches have already thrown out God's word. Already. Now where God's word has been thrown out, the the ground is now fertile to be able to plant whatever seed Satan wants in there. And he's doing it very, very carefully. And he's doing it very quickly though. The churches have thrown out God's word. And in most places in this world, they've embraced other faiths and other religions and I'll call science one of those too because evolution apart from being science is a religion and most churches who call themselves Christian have thrown out the Bible and said no no we can't believe that God created two people called Adam and Eve, we can't believe that there was an ark, we can't believe anything that sort of stuff because science has proven it to be wrong, correct? Science has proven it. We uh, spoke to a man, Andrew and I spoke to a fellow who said, "My God is science." Pity the man. because science never saved anyone. The rise of the first beast to a place of world dominion, the... then what happens with this apostate church it's going to come about is that once Satan has used it and gotten his worth out of it, you know what he does with it? What he always does with everything, he destroys it. Turn briefly to Revelation chapter 17. We've only finished over here. I know you're, you're hot. Thanks for bearing up. Revelation 17 verse 15. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues, and the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, thee shall hate the whore, And shall make her desolate and naked. And shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. In the end, when Satan's done with using the apostate Christian church and he doesn't need any more, he will destroy it and then direct all that to himself. The only state religion, the only world religion that he will accept. That's an incredible thing, isn't it? And the second beast, the false prophet, his job is to make sure that happens. He will probably head the first church. He will probably be the one who makes sure it's actually growing and and doing what it's meant to be doing. And he's going to be the one who ultimately then turns and says, time for you to go, time for this one to come into play. Because these two, the Antichrist and the false prophet, work all their way through the last three and a half years of tribulation right to the end where they're both cast into the lake of fire the second beast puts on this mild lamb appearance as a religious figure who's given authority by the first beast but once again it speaks like a dragon fierce and unrelenting while it professes to be gentle and following the good way or the right way it becomes a monster just like the papacy did during the dark ages In many ways, the Antichrist or the false prophet will mimic the power possessed by the popes during the Middle Ages, when the Roman Empire became the Holy Roman Empire and where church and state mixed together, the pope and the king working side by side to complete their their goals, one promoting the other. And we find that in those times, millions are killed and indeed... In the end, millions will be killed. Those who have held on to God's word and have rejected the laws of men have been persecuted throughout the ages. Remember this, there is no true church throughout all of history that ever persecuted anyone. Never. People have a hard time trying to understand that, that Jesus didn't come to... to to teach us to to bear arms and to, and to, to kill anyone who didn't follow our way and don't get me wrong here I'm not I don't just believe it that it's the Holy Catholic Church that's to blame here but it's every country every religious system that doesn't align itself to the truth you see there are many other countries out there at the moment many other states that have an official religion don't they And we find that it's in those countries where Christians and believers are persecuted the most. See, the same thing continues to happen all the time. In the Islamic States, we find many Christians that are being killed because the the religion and the political power is aligned together and they forbid anything else. Many Christians are being martyred for their faith today. And in a dramatically similar way, the false prophet will say that this abomination will once again be unleashed upon the world. But this time the false prophet will force men to bow down to the image of the antithesis, the opposite of Jesus. And unfortunately those who bow down to the image will find out that the image can't save them. Only God can save you. And in the end they will all be judged. The beast, the false prophet, Satan and anyone who follows that religion will be cast alive into the lake of fire. Every false political and religious system in this world will be judged and found wanting and they will all be cast away and destroyed. We need to be aware of God's people of Satan's devices. And indeed, Paul says that we are not ignorant of his devices. We need to be aware of the way Satan plays politics and plays religion. He has an agenda and we need to be Careful we don't get caught up in that. I'll read one more thing to you and I'll leave it with you. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 20, God says, Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, that ye are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye, and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord, and there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Saviour? There is none beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Have you turned to God? Have you trusted in Jesus as your Saviour? There is no one else. The Bible says whereby there is no other name given under heaven whereby we can be saved. Jesus is the only way. With all your heart today, if you haven't accepted him as Lord and Saviour, do it today, don't wait. It doesn't take very much. Just confess your sin, admit you're a sinner, humble yourself before his hand and believe that he lifted your burden of sin at Calvary. And say, so I accept you. I believe that you are the Son of God, the Holy One of Israel. He'll save you. Thank you for the time.